How are we doing today? Are we doing good? Are we having fun? Ready to rock through the insanity? Remember that from that exercise? You know, my I'm doing this exercise thing called insanity now, and this guy's like, yeah! You know what I mean? Are we ready to do that for the next couple of days? It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be totally insane. But we're going to have fun. We're going to go through tons and 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 tons of guidelines. And we're going to actually focus on, as well, Sue's, right? Because I want to really spend some time so we can really mash down sort of the anatomy of Sue's, right? So when I record this, because my recorder won't go for 16 hours, right? They'll kind of appear as like four parts, you know what I mean? Like part A, part B, part C, and part and part D. So we're really going to focus focus as well to lots of guidelines as well as really making sure that we bang down um uh, we really bang down uh, um, uh, um uh, the sues right because remember this exam has two components guys what are the two components we have the one component is the samps and the other component is the sues right we got the samps and we got the sues and remember you need to pass both right and in fact your year is the first year where now you have both a combined lmcc um, um, come on to this exam. So we are also going to spend um, some time talking about how do you work through an OSCE, right? You know, because before how, we, how you do this is that you'd write your you'd write your LMCC in like November. You know what I mean? So you could focus like September, October, November. You know what I mean? Just totally. How do I do an abdominal exam? How do I do a respiratory exam? How do I do a focused lymphatic examination? Blah 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 blah. So on and so forth, right? And then you could kind of like turn off that mode, right, and then go into Sue mode. Right, but this exam is going to be a bit different in the fact that you're going to be doing both, uh, uh, um, um, both within the same examinations, right? So we're going to be talking a fair bit about uh, uh, um, a bit, uh, um, some 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 examination pearls for that. Excuse me, examination pearls for that component of the examination. Does that sound okay? As always, because I'm just such a fan of critical care, and we're going to lead into the topic today. We're going to go all over the place. I'm gonna, I always like to do these things where there's no rhyme or reason sometimes, um, 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 the order, because that's how the exam is, right? It'll go from, you know, it'll go from jaundice in an infant to um, meningitis to hypertension. Does that make sense? And it kind of focuses, even though uh, um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, it, 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 when you study that way, they've actually shown in trials that if you actually, not trials, but studies, you know, it's hard to kind of do randomized controlled trials. But uh, they've shown that when you study, if you study like how the exam is written, you tend to do better, Right. Um, so we're going to go on. Let's start off with a little bit of critical care, folks. Will critical care be part of this examination? And the answer is yes, right? You can get CCFP examination questions um, on uh, um, um, approach the patient with uh, um, uh, uh, acutely decompensating. And you can have kind of LMCC part two type questions, definitely looking on your approach to the critically ill patient. So let's start off. You are working in your small community emergency room. Small community emergency room. That means... You know, no race team, right? No met team. Does that make sense? You're working in your small community emergency room, and a, a person is brought in, and they have, um, uh, um, um, oh, actually, you were asked to see them on the floor. You were in the emergency room, but you were actually called to the floor to see a patient. You have no idea about this patient. You just know there's a 75-year-old female. You get the call on the phone. Hi, Dr. Smith. Um, you know what? Mrs. Johnson, she's not waking up. You approach Mrs. Johnson's bedside, what are you going to do? The three letters are? Excellent, right? Your ABCs, your CABs. What did I say, guys? Repeat it. Say it louder. Excellent. You're going to articulate that. Does that make sense, right? So we're going to start off. I'm So circulation, what's my circulation question is? Pulse, yes or? Pulse, yes or? Pulse, yes or? There you go. Excellent. She has a pulse. Does that make sense, right? Right? I can move on to air. I can move on to what's after C is? A, right? A stands for? Airway, right? What's my simplest airway assessment, guys? It is open or? There you go, right? Right? So we're going to do a quick assessment, right? Her airway is open. She's... She's thinking, okay, airway seems open, right? I'm not here. What would be signs of that then airway is closed? What would be some signs that you might see, right? Because she's not responding to us. Right? What, are, what could be some signs that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, her airway is closed? What might she sound like? Suppose if she's making that kind of noise. <laughs> what do we think about that? Exactly. Suppose if she's doing... <gasps> that could be a sign of an airway being closed as well, too. So we don't see that, right? So we're going to say our airway is open for now, right? Right? And B stands for? Breathing. Exactly. She appears to be breathing. 
Thank God. Okay, so we can move on. What other four letters do we do like that? Afterwards, we do? Omic. Exactly. That kind of gets your setup in place. Then you're saying, you're probably saying, Mike, I thought we were going to do some critical care. I thought we are going to see some trauma like we do or some anaphylaxis or that type of thing. Is this a critically unstable patient, guys? Exactly. That's a critically, 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 critically unstable patient, right? Because they're having an acute change in their, repeat after me, level of consciousness. What did I say, guys? Level of? Excellence. Excellent. That's one of your 100 topics, right? Right? So um, uh, they're having an abrupt and acute change in their level of consciousness. They weren't like this the last time they were seen. That's what the nurse tells you, right? So what does O, o stand for, guys? O stands for? Excellent. What are you going to say? Excellent. Please apply. Exact, exactly. Please apply the oxygen, 100% rebreather. Excellent. M stands for? Monitor, right? So describe. Are you going to say monitor? What are you going to say? Excellent. Love it. Excellent. Good stuff, right? Can we please get, the, can we please get the, uh, the cardiac monitor if you got one? If you don't, like we don't have Insu Lookout, right? You, you just grab a crash cart, put the leads and the pacing pads on. Please please make sure the uh, um, O2 sa um, um, saturation uh, monitor is on. Can we make sure the blood pressure is on? Can we make sure that it's cycled as fast as it can go? Boom! We're going to monitor that patient. Excellent. We're getting all that stuff. Blood pressure cuff is going up. Blood pressure, um, 100 on 70. Um, heart rate is about 115. You know, O2 saturation, 97 99% on the 100% non-rebreather, uh, non right? I stands for IV. The only thing better than one IV is? Excellent. Good. We got to get an IV access because we don't know, right? We don't know what we're going to be dealing with, right? Let me ask you guys a question. Do we have any idea what's going on? And the answer is? We don't know, right? We don't, know, we don't need to know exactly what the diagnosis is to get to this particular point right now, right? Because there's two things you always need in any critical event. Repeat after me. The first thing is time. What did I say the first thing is? And the next thing is information. What did I say the next thing is? There you go, right? So all we're doing is we're doing just a series of maneuvers to buy ourselves a little bit more time and to get ourselves a little bit more information, right? All right, and P stands for? Pulse. You want to make sure that you keep an eye on the pulse because if you hear, oh, my God, we don't feel a pulse, what are you going to think? One neuron's going to tell the other neuron start? Excellent. Start compression. Start CPR. We good so far? All right, so we're wondering, okay, you know, we're, you know this is her, this is her, uh, um, we have her vital signs, it's repeating, it's repeating, it's going about the same, but she's what we call out to lunch, she has a decreased level of consciousness. What do we say, guys, she's out to? Lunch. Excellent. All right, so what is it, and, and you need this, this is one of your 100 topics, go boom, we're killing, we're doing two for one, right? Is this, could this be an emergency, guys? Yes. Exactly. Right? This is a, this is a neurologic. Uh, this is a, this is an emergency because remember, if she's out to lunch, what can she not protect? Excellent. If she doesn't protect her airway, what what could you do? She could upchuck, and where could all that upchuck go? Down her lungs. And what's that going to do to her oxygenation? It could go from ninety-seven to fifty-seven. Does that make sense? We're good so far. All right. So this is a this is a this is a this is an emergency, right? We need to deal with this now. We need to figure out well, how are we going to do? Well, you know what? What do we do when we solve problems? We go to up to date, right? So you're on your little laptop, right? You're like up to date. No, okay, I'm stable. Decrease LOC. You know what I mean? You know, search results: nine thousand seven hundred forty-seven things. Everything from you know seizures to brucellosis. Does that make sense? Exactly. You're like, oh, I need a more efficient approach. Does that make sense? Do something that's going to work faster. I can't get my brucellosis serology that quick in Sue Lookout. Does that make sense? All right, so what are we going to do? We need an approach. Excellent. We're going to do this a lot in the ACES course. The approach that you guys will do for decreased level of consciousness, right? When a patient is out to lunch, write down these three things, right? You're going to have focal findings. What did I say, guys? First group has focal. Excellent. The next group is going to have neck stiffness. What did I say? Do they have any neck? Good. And the third group is going to be in the neither category. We good so far? So you have her. She presents with decreased LOC. The first, you're going to say you can categorize people broadly into three different groups. Right? The first group, do they have any focal findings? Second group, do they have any neck stiffness? Third group is the neither category, neither focal findings or neck stiffness. Now remember, we're not going to get, you know, do I break up the test tubes, the tuning forks? At this point, do my neurological exam. No, 
oh, this is a cursory, right? If this was your LMCC station, this would be a cursory examination, right? What, what do I be looking for on an examination? Because I, I need to get an answer quickly, right? I, don't, I, I can't afford to wait the two weeks to get the EMG studies. Does that make sense? All right, so what are we going to um, 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 do? Let's see, on an examination, how can I do, what, what, what things might you see for focal findings? Cursory stuff. Shout out some stuff. I like pupils, right? Are they equal or unequal? Check for that. Good. Is there a facial droop? What about, when, when, let's say if she was doing this, right? Does she have some symmetry in her movement, right? She might not have personal, purposeful movement, right? Right? She may not necessarily have purposeful movement. You can look, look and see, and you can say, oh, you know what? She seems to be moving this side and not moving that side, right? Right? What about reflexes? Might that give us use? Can I do those things quickly? Can you do those on someone who's unconscious? And the answer is? Exactly. Because you have for things like Babinski, Hoffman's, right? Remember, Hoffman's like Babinski in the upper extremity, right? That's when you kind of give, you know, we all remember that test, and so if you kind of give the middle finger a, Flick and stuff, and then you see the pincher sort of grip of these two fingers, and it's a positive Hoffman sign, right? We good so far? So we're looking for evidence, crude evidence of lateralizing. There's something, there's, there's some focal findings. And if there's focal findings, what types of pathologies can give you focal findings? Shout out some things. Stroke. Remember, we're going to learn there's two types of stroke. We have ischemic, and we have? Exactly. Good Good stuff. A tumor. Yeah. We good so far? All right. So you see, we need to do that in order because it narrows our differential. How am I going to pick those things up, guys? What kind of scan am I going to get for that person? I'm going to get a? Exactly. So you know that the minute you see that, you're going to say, you know what? I need to do a head scan, right? I need to make sure I do a head scan because I need to determine what the etiology is. Does that make sense? All right. Okay, let's go on. So that's focal findings. What's the next group, guys? Remember we said we can organize into three different groups? The first group is? Focal findings. The next group is neck? Excellent. What type of pathologies can give me neck stiffness? Sorry? Meningitis. Sub? Subarachnoid hemorrhage, right? Remember, subarachnoids can make you, they can make you, we had not uh, a person with that not too long ago in Sioux Look, I mean, you can get very, very sick, right? Very, 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 very sick, Right? What is going to be the imaging test? Like, what's going to be the imaging test that I'm going to need to do to be able to diagnose that? Yeah, imaging or testing in general. Good, good, right? Might be an LP, CT, right? Might be implicated as well too, right? Excellent. And what's the third category? The third category, remember we said the first category is focal findings. The next category is neck stiffness, right? We know what types of things. We know what to do in those cases, right? We good so far? Do we think though, how, how common do you think those things are for this kind of scenario? Well, relatively, right? But you know what? If they look at all comers, especially in hospital and stuff, people who are in hospital, it's actually the third category. Each one of those account for about maybe 1% to 2% each, right? Right? So what's the third category, guys? The third category is? Neither, right? That's the biggest category. 96 to 98% of people are going to fall into the neither category. Okay. That's a big category. That can accomplish, that can do a lot, that can, uh, um, uh, um, um, thing, that can uh, uh, take into account a lot of different diagnoses, right? I'll give you guys a little mnemonic so you can get like 99% of them quickly. Does that make sense? A little mnemonic, we use it for the ACES course. SHIMS, write this down. S-H-I-M-M-S. We write that down. S-H-I-M-M-S. What did I say? SHIMS. All right. First S, sepsis, right? Shock. Does that make sense? You good so far? Right? H stands for, well, what, what happens, what else can give you, um, uh, um, uh, let's say if your oxygen level is low, can that make you loopy? Let's say if your CO2 is too high, can that make you out to lunch too? Exactly, right? So let's put hy uh, hypoxia, hypercapnia in the H. Does that make sense? Right? right? I, infection, intoxication, right? I mean, they ingested something, right? So, you know, someone, they bring in somebody off the street, you know what I mean? And you see certain things that could be a sign that maybe they took something. This is just a little mnemonic so you won't miss anything big because guess what? This is the biggest category. Most of the people you see are going to be in this category. 
right? Think about your allergic, you know, when someone's brought, or, or especially when you're assessing unstable patients on the floor, right? Have we all gotten that call before? Let's see on internal medicine. Hi, Mr. Mr. Johnson just quite isn't himself, right? He's more confused, right? Or sometimes it's, oh, wow, uh, Mrs. Smith, you know what? You know, she's not responding to us. And she was responding earlier in the, earlier in the day. Have we all gotten those kind of calls? Exactly. Right? M. Metabolic. Excellent. Give me some metabolic stuff. So let's talk about some organs that can dysfunction. So I want you guys to think about electrolytes, right? So what are the two most electrolytes that are most common for changes in the level of the... I've got not so much potassium, calcium and sodium. What did I say, guys? Calcium and... Sodium, exactly. Remember, calcium gets too high, too low. You have to get these little things that we're going to talk about in a moment called seizures. And that's something good. It's an interesting segue because it leads right into one of our CCFP topics, right? That's what we're doing it today, like butter, right? They're just going to smoke. Right? <laughs> All right. So it's going to flow like that, right? Okay. So um, uh, um, uh, we know that... Uh, Calcium, problems with calcium or electrolyte disturbances with calcium and sodium especially, right? Give me some other metabolic stuff. Can you get it if your, like, thyroid gland isn't working too well? Exactly. So hypo, hyper, right? I love to ask that as a station. You know, the person comes inside, you know what I mean, and they're, they're all out to lunch. And you see the scar? What can the scar here mean? Exactly. That happened to me once before. I had a patient like that, and it was, they, were, they were profoundly hypothyroid, right? You always look at the net, right? Because it usually means that someone, maybe they had, maybe they had a, 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 a thyroidectomy done, right? And then you have to kind of wonder, wow, you know, are they taking all their medications, right? Or did they get sick and have a higher requirement and not take enough medication, right? We good so far? Can sort of liver stuff, can liver stuff do that as well, too? So certain, what's that liver condition again? Hepatic something? Exactly. We're going to talk about hepatitis a little bit later and, and, uh, and liver stuff too because I feel the liver's kind of left out, you know. The heart gets a lot of attention, you know, heart failure, and MIs, and lungs get a lot of attention, you know, COPD and asthma. Liver, you know, we just kind of say, oh, it doesn't get much. But we're going to give it lots of attention. Does that make sense? All right. So you're going to, these are just big things that you don't forget, big categories, right? What's the other M? Medi? Medications. Can medications cause you to be out, out to lunch, guys? And the answer is? Give me some categories. Give me some categories of medications that if you saw, right? Good. Benzos. Give me another one. Narcotics. Insulin, right? What else? Good. Like, you know, exactly, right? Neuroleptics, right? Neuroleptic medication, anticholinergic medication, especially in the elderly, right? Exactly. Uh, they can, they can. A lot of times they induce uh, electrolyte abnormalities, right? So, we good so far, guys? You're going to do a review of medication. This is just a little mnemonic that we made up for the ACEs course just so that people wouldn't forget and miss out on something big. Now, the last S. Let's talk about... Now, maybe you didn't have a seizure, or maybe you're post... Post, after seizure, you can get post-ictal. What do you look like when you're post-ictal? Can you look like our, our patient here? You can, right? So you have to think, maybe we didn't, maybe she had a seizure, right? And we're just cackling in the post-ictal phase, right? This S as well, too, I want you to remember this. Sugar. What did I say, guys? Repeat it. Repeat it again. Repeat it again. It is super common. It is super common. Can hypoglycemia cause problems with decreased LOC? That's happened to me. I, I, I had a patient and, you know, doing all this and we're like going through the differential. Maybe it's, you know, their COPD and then, you know, one of the nurses said, oh, I'm just going to check a blood sugar. You know, it was like 0.3. You know, you're like, oh, <laughs> I think I know why this person did this, you know. So when you give the, you know, the D50, it's like, ah. <laughs> it's like reanimated back to life. Remember it. You know, you can get, you can look like a pro. Just remember, even if you grab the medication bar and check the blood sugar. Does that make sense? You're going to be a pro. Are we good so far? All right. Now, is this, this is not everything that can happen, right? This is about 98% of the stuff that happens, right, is in that category. We're good so far? Now you have an approach. If someone comes in with decreased LOC, remember, if this was a station on your examination, what would I expect you, what would I expect you to do for this LMCC component? I would expect you to do your ABCs or your CABs. I wouldn't expect you just to jump and do your secondary survey and start doing grabbing test tubes and tuning forks and, and those type of things without knowing what this guy's pulse is. 
We good so far? So it really is that? Okay, you know what? We've assessed this patient. We're getting called to the floor. That'd be a perfect station. We're getting called to the floor. Okay, what am I going to do? I have to do my CABs. We're good so far? I'm going to make sure I do them. I'm going to make sure I articulate them. Okay, I'm going to start, start off by assessing my circulation, airway, and breathing. I can see the patient. I feel their pulse. They have a pulse. I can look at their airway. They, they, they appear to have an open airway for now, and they appear to be breathing. Can we please get 100% O2 uh, um, on them via 100% non-rebreather? Can we connect them to cardio, uh, um, um, the cardiac monitor? Can we put the leads and the pacing pads on? Can we get the blood pressure cuff on? And can we cycle it as fast as it can go? As well, can we get the saturation probe running continuously on the non-blood pressure Arm. 12 marks. Boom. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that's just, just an example. We kind of, we kind of, that sound okay? That's the kind of thing that you want, you know, you wouldn't speak as fast as I am, of course. <laughs> I get excited when I talk about this stuff, so. The rate, the more caffeine, you're going to see the rates of stuff going. We're just going to start compressing more into shorter periods of time, you know what I mean? So. I have to watch myself, you know? But that's, that's the kind of thing, right? And then you say, okay, I work in, okay, let me do a cursory neurological assessment, right? I'm assessing for whether or not there's any focal findings or if there's any neck stiffness, right? I'm not concerned about in this particular situation, you know, I'm checking, the, uh, um, they don't appear to have any neck stiffness, right? I didn't see any asymmetric movements, their pupils are equal and bilateral, the reflexes are equal bilateral. You can check those things quickly, right? That means that they would fit in the category of neither neck stiffness or focal findings. Can I please, what investigations would you do? I would do a glucose. Let's do some blood work. You have some rhyme or reasons to the stuff you're going to do. In fact, what, what you'd probably do is that, would you wait for the glucose? Would you wait for them to say, okay, I'll grab the glucometer from, you know, across the hall or down two floors? Or would you just say, there you go. Can I see the medication mark of the patient? That would be classic, right? Oh, I can see this patient got uh, six of MS. I, I see their uh, their hydromorphone content was uh, was increased from uh, from six to twelve milligrams, and their first dose was last night. And I noticed from their previous lab work that they have some evidence of chronic kidney disease. Oh, chronic kidney disease. So they may not, even though dilata is pretty clean with the kidneys, it's not necessarily going to metabolize as well as if you have normal kidneys. So what what is our mind kind of pointing to? Maybe this person has what? Maybe what's the cause of their decreased LOC? Narcotics, right? So let's say if I ask you on the station, okay, what would you what would you what would you recommend for this? Yeah, exactly. Let's say I say, okay, how much would you give? If you don't remember the dose, that's fine. But usually you can start off. Now, even though the guidelines say a lot of 0.4, you know what I mean, and stuff, yeah, you'd want to, you probably want because you don't want people to, to, they can look pretty, you know what I mean? They, they, they can look, they can, they can get pretty animated pretty quick, you know? I've had people before, and, you know, they have the, 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 the you know, the, 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 the uh, you know, hypercactic respiratory failure from, from high PCO2 secondary to just hypoventilation because they're not breathing because, you know what I mean? They they took uh, they took a lot of uh, uh, a lot of narcotics, and you know you give them a lot you give them a lot of Narcan. It's like they go. Aah! This guy just started screaming. I remember he goes, oh, it's like you know Haldol, Haldol, something. <laughs> so you know you usually kind of want to titrate it in, and it's amazing. Is it pretty dramatic to see the response? Exactly, right? That would be a station, right? You give her the point, you know, you, you dilute 0.4 of Narcan in a 10 cc syringe. You give her three cc's. You find that she wakes up. She, she starts moving. She starts speaking. She wasn't doing that before. What do we think our answer is, guys? Our answer is? Exactly. It's narcotic related. Boom. Perfect station. Good so far? So you see how you approach the, a decreased level of consciousness? So remember, someone comes inside, they have a decreased level of consciousness. you got to make sure they can fall into three categories, guys. What are the three categories? They are? Focal findings or neck stiffness or neither. Exactly. Focal findings, you know what your differential is. Neck stiffness, you know what your differential and your investigations are. The neither category, you remember your mnemonic? What's the mnemonic again, guys? I didn't take my Aricept this morning. What is it? Shims. Exactly. To get you the answer quickly. You good so far? All right. Good stuff. So we're coming, we're, 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 you know, we're looking through some of her other medications. We give her the Narcan and you know what? She's just, you, you give her the Narcan, we say, oh man, you know what? We've got to be careful with that, with that, uh, with that dilaudid. You know, maybe, we, maybe we're a bit too aggressive with increasing it, right? We're a bit too aggressive with increasing it, right? She does, the next day she does, ton, like she's almost back to the baseline. The day after that, she's like back to her normal self. You know what I mean? 
Okay, just perfectly back to her normal self. Okay, now you're reading through a list of medications, you're going through it here, and you're like, oh. I see here, we got some history, you know, it's like all, not all in the chart right away, that she's had a previous CVA, and she was put on Dilantin. You know what I mean, stuff? For that, what's that? Exactly, right? Right? So what are we going to talk about, guys? Why was she put on that? Because she had a? Let's talk about seizures. Does that make sense? All right. Seizures can be broadly defined into two categories. What are those two categories, guys? You need to know this for your exam. Those two categories are generalized. Does that make sense? They are? Or more focal. Does that make sense? Generalized and focal. Generalized, how you tell the difference? Generalized, there's always an impairment of consciousness. Does that make sense? Or you lose consciousness. What do people describe when they have a generalized seizure? Do they remember the seizure? Exactly. Now, you guys remember, what are partial seizures? You remember those commercials that, that Canada Post used to run, you know, in the history of Canada? And Dr. Wilder Penfield was there, and he had his little, he had his little thing touching the brain, you know, and he said, I smell burnt toast, you know what I mean? What kind of seizure was she was having? If I ask you that as an exam question, well, do you say generalized? No, because she was conscious, she was aware of it. Does that make sense? What kind of seizure was it, right? Well, what kind of, it wasn't a generalized, it was a partial. Does that make sense? Or focal? Does that make sense? We good so far? Are we crystal clear? Exactly, right? And how do you tell is that, now, remember there's different types of generalized seizures, right? Well, give, give me some types of generalized seizures. That's the tonic, tonic-clonic, atonic. Does that make sense? A whole bunch of others. We good so far? Right? And remember, you can, can you remember partial seizures? You can have partial motor seizures, right? Partial sensory seizures. She was having a partial gustatory seizure, right? I smell something that's not there. Does that make sense? Partial olfactory seizure. Does that make sense? Crystal clear, guys? Let me ask you guys, what's that one? Oh, remind me again, guys. What's that one again? Kids get it a lot. They get lip smacking, and they kind of do like this with their eyes sometimes. It just lasts like, it just can even last a few seconds sometimes. That's absence, right? Where, where does that fit in? Well, that must be partial, right? Like, they don't, they don't do this, right? What is that? That is a? It's a generalized seizure. Does that make sense? Absence seizures are generalized seizures because during the seizure episode, are they conscious? No. All right. So we have our two basic broad categories. Does that make sense? Now, let's go. Remember our, remember our lady that we had in the case? What types of things can cause seizures? Remember, seizures can be primary or they can be secondary. What can they be? They can be? Or they can be? Excellent, right? Primary. What do we call that condition? You have? Epilepsy, right? There's no, I, I cannot discern a cause of why you're having a seizure, right? Right? What are some secondary examples of seizures? Give me some secondary. Remember our lady. What kind of differential? What kind of things that were in our differential for a seizure? Shout out some things. Tumor. Tumor. What else? Hypoglycemia. Right? Hypoglycemia, right? Electrolyte disturbance. Does that make sense? So, sorry? Brain bleed. Stroke, Right? See, your shims, right? You're going to, you're going to, because all those things, if they get bad enough, can you get a seizure with them? The answer is, you can, right? If you get shocky and your blood pressure is too low, you're going to get a hypoxemic encephalopathy and you, you can present with a seizure. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly, right? Tomorrow we're going to do like this pediatric calvacade. We're going to start, we're going to start two people from when they're, you know, just courting and then they, you know, they, they want to have a baby and then they have, you know, they have a, they have issues having a baby and then they finally do have a baby. Does that make sense? We're going to get infertility. So we, we kind of take this family all the way from before baby was born to like, you know, you're ready to send baby off to medical school. You know what I mean? Bye. Here, I'll write your letter of reference. You know what I mean? So, I remember when you were like, <laughs> all right, we're going to talk about that because that's another specific type of seizure called a febrile seizure. Does that make sense? We good so far? All right. So I have a patient, and they come inside, and they have a seizure. What kind of investigations am I going to do? Think about our list. Good. Love it. Electrolytes, right? Sugars. Love it. What else? Huh? Yep. Could do TSH. I like imaging. How many of us are going to do imaging, guys? Exactly. Because do I want to make sure that there's no mass, no bleed, no stroke, no AVM, no, no, no mass change? Does that make sense? Right? You want to make sure that you do that with electrolytes, right? Right? With your glucose. You might want to check your liver as well, too, right? Good stuff. 
So you've had this person, they've gotten this check, right? Most of the times, you know, sometimes if the if you get a positive, so let's say I, I say, you know what, you know, 30% of the time you're going to find something like a, a mass, right? You're going to say, oh, man, this person has a, has, a, has a three by four centimeter mass in their parietal lobe, right? That's probably the cause of their seizure, right? Or, wow, this person, you know what? You remember we were talking about heart failure before, and, and heart failure, we talk about diuretics. This is the one that comes up a lot. You talk about diuretics, and, you know, now the new heart failure guidelines say that, you know, you can use one diuretic, right? And then if that doesn't work, you can try an infusion. Well, you know, you, you can't send people home on infusion, so you, you may try another diuretic, something like metalazone or something like hydrochlorothiazide, right, to potentiate the effect of that diuretic. And what can that second diuretic do to your electrolytes? It can cause them to drop. The last two people that I've seen with seizures have been because of that, right? They came inside, and their, like, calcium and their magnesium were super low. Does that make sense? And, of course, that's important to diagnose because what's the treatment for that? The treatment for that is going to be to correct the underlying abnormality, right? If it's a bleed that you have, well, you know what? There's things specifically we do for, for post-stroke, right? It allows you to identify the cause. If it's an electrolyte abnormality, you're going to correct it, right? You're going to alleviate any precipitating causes. We good so far? All right, so let's say we go 70% of the time you do that, everything's normal. This person gets MRIs, this person gets a CT, all their blood work perfectly normal. EEG, yeah? Let's say it's normal. What are you going to do? Is that a common situation for everything to come back normal, guys? That's a very common situation, right? Right? That's a very, very common situation for everything to come back normal, right? So what are you going to do? What does this person mean? We're going to send this person home and say, well, don't start any fires, don't swim, you know, without a buddy. We're going to do that, right? That's lifestyle modification, right? Everybody write this down, driving. Driving. I don't want to see anybody on this exam forget to write down driving because does having a seizure implicate driving? Who do you have to inform? Exactly. What soon will you fail if you forget to inform them? Does that make sense? Right? So that is important, right? You have to inform. Remember, as physicians, you don't write down, pull the person's license. You don't say, oh, I, I, I need to borrow your license, check your health card, and then cut it up and they're gone. You know, can I have my health card back? Can I have my license back? What license? You, know? <laughs> you understand? We don't pull people's licenses. We inform the ministry. Does that make sense? We inform the ministry. So that's what you do, right? Right? Can there be certain lifestyle things that we can recommend to people, too, to reduce their chance of having another? Let's see if they say, you know what, I'm a, I, I drink about, you know, two shots of scotch a night. Exactly. That might be something reasonable to do, right? Because what can that interact with? Because we might want to put that person on some medications, right? And can, can alcohol affect those medications? So exactly. Love it. What are the two categories of medications that can affect anti -up? This is important, right? There's two categories of medications that affect levels of anti-epileptic drugs, right? Good. Love it. Oral contraceptive pill. you got to be careful. Love to ask that question, right? You have the person new onset seizure. She's feeling great. She's been seizure-free, and she wants to discuss about the combined oral contraceptive pill. And she's on carbamazepine. Does that make sense? There might be different options that you might recommend with her, right? Because it's gonna those things induce metabolism and make the make the make the make the birth control pill not be as effective, right? What about antibiotics? Not for like, you know what, they've done a lot of studies. They don't really, it's really only one. Rifampin. What did I say, guys? Rifampin, right? You're saying oh, rifampin, we don't give that stuff anymore. And we don't give that stuff anymore. Rifampin, oh, it's so old and toxic. And when do we give rifampin? There you go. You good so far? So you're gonna you're gonna make sure. Remember, there's still lifestyle and modification things, right? Right. Patient-directed therapy, goal-directed therapy, right? That stuff is all important, right? Can you refer people to, uh, to uh, um, uh, um, um, you know, there's, 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 there's networks for people with epilepsy, right? Might that be useful? Remember, I could, I, I could make this a station and it's a 16-year-old who says, oh, man, I've been waiting 16 years to do what? And you're really cramping my style, doctor. Does that make sense? Right? Might, might, might him or her need a little support? So they understand their condition? Because you know what? If they don't understand their condition, what are they not going to do? 
They're not going to do anything that you recommend, including taking their medication. And what's going to happen? They're going to be at a higher chance of getting another? There you go. And if they do have one and they're by themselves, what can happen if you have a seizure and it doesn't go away, right? You go into status, epilepticus, right? If the seizure doesn't abate in 20 minutes or you have two um, um, seizures close together, right? You can go into status. All right, let's say we see that person in the emergency room. They come inside. This person has a known, remember, the biggest group of seizures is actually people with known epilepsy, right? And then you query medication what? What are they not doing probably as well? Non-compliance, right? You good so far? They come inside. They're having a seizure right in front of you. They said they had a seizure 20 minutes ago. The ambulance brings them in. They're doing okay, a little, you know, a little post, you know, they're having their Jacksonian march thing. And all of a sudden, they have another seizure. They're seizing right in front of you. What are you going to do? ABC. Good. Love it. Still do your ABCs. Still do your CABs, right? Still do your CABs, right? Circulation, airway, breathing. That stuff is important, right? On an exam, they would want to make sure that you still do that, right? Remember, does it take a long time? It only takes five seconds, but you need to do it, right? It, what is a seizure? A seizure is an example of a neurologic emergency. What did I say, guys? A seizure is an example of a? And first rule of that is that you got to stop the seizure. Repeat it. Repeat it after me. you got to? You have to stop the seizure. Someone sees you, you have to stop it, and you have to stop it now. Don't grab a coffee. Don't go for Tim Hortons, right? Don't let the medical student do it. Does that make sense? <laughs> right? You have to stop the seizure now, right? How are we going to stop the seizure? What kind of medications do we give? Benzodiazepine. Exactly. Benzodiazepine, right? So you can give, like, you know, I, I like giving, you know, Ativan, right? Lorazepam, right? You can use midazolam as well, too. Um, 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 but what you can do is give a good dose, four milligrams. Don't mess around. You want to stop the seizure. That'll stop seizures in 85 to 90% of people, right? If they keep on seizing, do it again. If they keep on seizing, do it again. Right? We good so far? You have to stop the seizure. What is the rule? If someone is seizing, if that was the case, I would expect ABCs, and I expect, you know what, we need to get the seizure to stop. Now we need to do the EKG now, right? Not, not let's grab the blood work, right? No, you lose points for that, right? Because that is a neurologic emergency. I need to stop the seizure. Does that make sense? That calcium and stuff is going to come back in an hour, right? That person could be dead by then, right? Or, and what's the danger is that people, can, when they go into static, status epilepticus, they get neuroxidotoxic brain damage, right? They can get permanent brain damage from this, right? So you've got to treat this right away. You good so far? Yes. You know what? I would do that three times, and then I would move to something like midazolam. Yeah. And is it, is it, I mean, the patient is okay, so, you know, I'm going to keep treating this, you know, yeah. at the same time I'm at have Mr. Jones over here coming for all of them. Yeah. Want to get that. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you're saying we need to call labs but going. That's what I'm addressing. Exactly. But I'm doing this. How, easy, how hard is it to, like, how hard is it even to draw laboratory work, right? They want to see that you're stopping the seizure, right? And remember, like, they're not going to make this, like, oh, my, you know, are we going to, you know, what agents are we going to use in 15 and, and complex? You know, it's, it's, remember, on average, 85 to 90% of people stop after the first dose. Is that something we all see? Yeah. Right? When people have seizures, you know, sometimes you might have to give one. I would say most people, vast majority of people stop with one. You may have to give them two. I've had one person that we had to actually run a, a, a couple, we had to run a medazolam infusions. That was secondary to withdrawal states, right? They can sometimes seize like crazy, right? Alcohol, withdrawal, right? Can that make you seize? Can that make you seize badly? Exactly. How do I treat that? Do I still use benzo? There you go. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Uh, you, you know what? There's some studies looking at actually IM. You can actually give midazolam. So let's, the big question you can ask is, ask is, let's say if you, someone just comes in off the street and they don't have an IV. Then you can actually push the midazolam. You can actually give it um, intranasally, right? Intranasally, right? It's a bit of a higher dose, 0.3 to 0.4 mg per kilo, but you can push it intranasally, right? Remember, do we use intranasal midazolam for kids for procedural sedation? How many people here in the eMERGE, right? See them give? What do they give sometimes? A little bit of intranasal midazolam, right? It kind of, it's not an, it's not, no, it's not a, it's not a, uh, uh, it's not a, uh, uh, analgesic, right? But it's an, am, you know, it can make you amnesiac. What is that? Amnestic, that's it. So it's an amnestic, it's an anxiolytic, right? 
So you can get that as well, too. There's some studies looking at just giving it IM as well, too, right? Because that's often a concern. You cannot get access. And when somebody's doing this, it is hard to get. It is very, 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 very hard to get um, access for, um, for, for, uh, for, uh, for an IV to give, to, uh, to give this medication. Are we cool so far? All right. All right, now, now let's say we give that benzo and the seizure stops. What are we going to also give? Phenotoin, right? What's the other name for phenotoin? The granine? Dilantin, right? So we often like to run a dilantin infusion, right? Right? If it stops or it didn't stop. No, no, it, it, both categories. Does that make sense? If it's not stopping, you're giving benzos until it stops. Does that make sense? After we like to give dilantin, right, to help you load you up with dilantin so you have a lower risk of early seizure recurrence, right? Because when you just had a seizure, you're most likely to have another seizure in the first 24 hours, right? So I want to make sure that you're well covered. We're good so far? You know, um, don't worry about the doses too, too much. But what I teach in the ACES course, like it's, it's 20 milligrams per kilogram. So you work out the dose based on a weight. So if the guy comes in and he's 240, you know, don't give him just a gram, right? You know, Emerge likes to do that. Just give a gram of Dilantin, right? Have we seen that before? You know, let's just say a good gram. And they'll give that same gram to the big guy as they would to the little old lady, right? Like you have to actually work out the dose, right? Because a lot of times we see that when people get to the floor, they've done studies that if that's, if you just kind of arbitrarily, then the people who are, are, are bigger people, they just recede, right? Because they don't have nearly as the, the therapeutic dose, right? So actually work out the dose and stuff. And you want to, don't worry about it for the exam, but it's 20 mg per kilo, right? And no more than 50 milligrams per minute when you're running it in. We good so far? We good with seizures? All right. Let's see you do this for this person now. You do this for this person. Now what are you going to do? First 24, 48 hours, no seizure. They're feeling great. They're like, oh, you do all your investigations. Nada. Everything's coming back pristine. Right? You give Dr. House a call. He says, yeah, I'll see them in three months. Right? You sound like you know what you're doing. Right? I'll let you take over from there. So what, what kind of medications do we have? Anti? Anti-epileptic drugs, right? Right? And there's different ways of characterizing anti-epileptic drugs. This is kind of a class and mechanism of action, right? And this is one where a lot of times we don't really know the mechanism of action, right? Right? There's different ways of different ways of organizing them, right? I like the broad versus narrow. What did I say? Broad versus narrow. excellent, right? So broad anti-epileptic anti drugs versus a narrow spectrum anti-epileptic drugs. Some people like to categorize them into first generation and second generation. Does that make sense? So first would be like your Epival. First would be like your carbamazepine. First would be like your phenotolin, right? Remember, that stuff is associated with what? Doing blood? Blood levels, right? Right? Whether you're second generation, you don't have to do that, right? Give me an example of second generation anti-epileptic drugs. Huh? Kepra, right? What's Kep Kepra? Levetiracetam, right? That's Kepra, right? Right? Remember Topramax? Have you ever heard of that one there? Topiramate? That's a second-generation anti-epileptic drug. Right? I actually prefer this term wide-spectrum versus narrow-spectrum, right? right? Because that's functionally what I care about. If this person has a seizure, I'm not sure what it is. Neurology's going to have to do some fancy tests and, 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 and do some other stuff to kind of... To kind of um, 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 you know, fine-tune their anti-epileptic drug therapy, what am I going to do when that person is not going to see Dr. House for another three months? What do I put them on? Following so far? Right, so broad-spectrum things are most of the newer generations of things like topiramate. Another one called uh, um, lamotrigine. We already heard of a drug called lamictal, right? For seizures, that's a, that's a fairly broad-spectrum anti-epileptic drug. And what I tend to use most is epivalve, right? sodium, right? That's a broad spectrum. That means you can use it for generalized and partial. Does that make sense? We're good so far? Broad spectrum, generalized and partial. Does that make sense? Narrower spectrum ones are kind of more, you're going to use more in the partial, complex partial. I, you know, those are more the neurologists use those, right? That's things like GABA. Gabapentin, right, is narrower spectrum, right? Right, carbamazepine is a bit narrower spectrum as well, too. So that's how I like to term the more wide spectrum versus narrow spectrum because they functionally give me a little bit more information. No, the list is long, right? There's tons of these drugs, right? You just need to know a couple of them, right? And you can use them over and over again. Now, remember, there's extremely narrow. What happens if you have, a, if you have an absence seizure? Remember, we, we can give you epigal, right? That's a broad spectrum. That's going to treat that. Remember, there's, a, there's another specific drug that we like to give in kids, ethosuximide. That's extremely narrow. Can you use that to treat somebody with generalized tonic-clonic seizures? No. 
won't work. Too narrow. We're good so far? So we're, for classes of anti-epileptic drugs, you can either do them if you want to do them first or second generation, or you can do them more narrow spectrum or more wider spectrum. Wider spectrum, all seizure types. That's the one I tend to use, right? Because I have to let Dr. House to figure out, okay, you know, are you going to put this person on Keppra or Levetiracetam or whatever? You know what I mean? And I want to make sure that they're going to have a low rate of seizure recurrence. We're good so far? Yep. Exactly. So you can use them for partial. You can use them for all seizure types. Versus narrow, they're going to have more niche markets. Does that make sense? And more focal. Does that make sense? So more partial, more complex partial, right? That's why if you have somebody, you may not consider like gabapentin, you know, necessarily first line, right? Right? What do we see people on, right? They're on things a lot of times like EpiVal. They're on things a lot of What are kids on a lot? Kepra, right? That's why you guys know it, right? K, K for Kepra, K for kids. That's what we teach in this course, right? Right? Levitiracetum, right? We're good so far because it has a fairly lamictal, broad spectrum, right? So you know you can start somebody on it. It's a second generation. You don't need to worry about levels too much. Not to say that they don't have side effects because these things, remember, they can interact with oral. Exactly, oral contraceptive pills. We good so far? We're rocking? How are we doing with seizures? Does that make a little bit of sense? Oh, that's a good question, right? Well, that, and that's a hard question, too, right? Now, what do, well, let's say if you had that, right? What wouldn't you give? Would you give Dilantin? Probably not, right? Okay, what would you give if someone was pregnant who had a seizure, right? Right? You probably, yeah, yeah, pregnant and they had a seizure. Any of the broad spectrum, there's no evidence for specific one. Exactly, but you have to be careful because remember, like, there's fetal phenyltoin syndrome, right? So you don't want to use a teratogen, right? And there's certain things that we know have... Remember fetal... How many of us have ever heard of that fetal phenyltoin syndrome, right? So I, I wouldn't use Dilantin, right? Right? It's like a syndrome you can get... Babies get, you know what I mean? When they get... When they get that. Oftentimes, that's when you write down expert consultation, right? Because that's a hard question. Oftentimes, it seconds to be one of the second generation ones, right? Exactly. Exactly. You're going you're gonna to consider doing things like that. Exactly. And what you do is you consider increasing that. You consider making sure that they're doing all their lifestyle stuff, how many seizures that they're having. Because where do you run into problems is sometimes someone who had a seizure, you know, 10 years ago, they were maintained on Dilantin and now they're pregnant. Does that make sense? And you're like, oh, what do I do? That's a hard one, right? That's a very hard one, right? Yeah. So they ask you not even to do seizures. Well, the thing is, that particular one, they would probably say, in that particular case, that's a hard question, right? Like, I wouldn't want to make that in the eMERGE, right? What would, what would, an, what would an eMERGE doctor, they would consult, right? Because right? you, you know it's not an easy, if you need help, right? Oh, yeah, and you're still going to do that. You're still going to give them a benzo, right? That's not going to change, right? You're still going to do that. But it's just that, you know, if they're only two months, right, and you know that you're going to support them on something, you're probably going to get an early expert consultation, right? Probably you're going to end up using something like gabapentin, right? That's what the obstetricians will use. But they'll follow that baby very, very closely, right? Because remember, gabapentin hasn't been around for that long, relatively speaking. Does that make sense? It's a relatively newer medication. And think about that. Like, what, what, would be a, what would be a reasonable thing? You're not, you're not likely to get something like that. They're, they would want you to recognize, oh, maybe what tests should I do for this person who's seizing? A, pregnancy test. That's where they would get you on. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because I agree with you. That, that case of pregnancy is difficult. You'll often see they'll use a little bit of Keppra. They'll use gabapentin. But again, depending on the seizure types, right? Because remember, gabapentin doesn't work with all types of, of partial seizures, right? That's just a rudimentary list, right? It doesn't work with all types, right? So that's why you'd want to get the consultation with the neurologist. Are we good so far? I wouldn't want to. Make, I wouldn't make that decision. We have lots of people who seize and soon look out who are pregnant, and we always, you know, I'll give them a piece of a call and say, "Listen, this is my situation," and he, you know what I mean? They'll say, "You know what? Start them on this, and we'll see them in a week." Does that make sense? So would you I probably wouldn't in that case. I probably wouldn't. You'd probably keep them in. Yeah. You'd probably try to get them to, and you'd, you'd you'd ask, right? That would be a case where you'd ask. That would be a perfectly reasonable case where you'd ask. 
Remember, it doesn't mean I'm going to send them for a referral right away, right? It means that I'm going to call Dr. House and say, Dr. House, I have this lady. She's seizing. She's 19. She's, 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 I just found out on her pregnancy test that she's pregnant. I've stopped the seizure. She's improving. I need some help regarding the management of her anti-epileptic drugs. That's perfectly reasonable. Because, guys, that's a difficult situation, right? All right. Loss of con- there's, an, there's a loss of consciousness, right? You lose consciousness, right? Yeah, you actually lose consciousness. People who are having a generalized seizure, they don't, do they remember that they're having a seizure? They don't, right? So what about the complex seizure? Yeah, complex, but there's an impairment of consciousness. Does that make sense? So it's not a complete loss, but there's an impairment, right? Remember, when you're having a generalized seizure, you do not remember the episode. Does that make sense? Right? Complex partial, complex partial seizures are, are, are more, there's more of an impairment, right? Whereas a full partial seizure, in its truest sense, there's no impairment of consciousness, right? It's kind of like I've, I've had patients and they come in with motor seizures and they're just doing this. And they're like, Doc, why am I doing this? They're perfectly awake. GCS. Write that down, put a circle and a square around it, and know how to calculate a GCS, right? Write it down, put a circle around it. Because right? that's something you're just going to read, you know, you read before the exam so you know how to compute it. That's, that's, that's one that's important, right? Their GCS is 15. They're sitting there talking to you, but they're doing this, right? And it's in the EEG that they pick, oh, man, this person is having a seizure, right? You still stop it the same way, right? Right? Usually more partial or, or a more, that's when I'd be more concerned about something like a tumor, right? Because you're kind of wondering, you know, a tumor is likely in, in one particular lobe is going to probably affect the region around it more than others. Does that make sense? We're good so far? We're rocking. Let's move on. Okay. So seizures, like, okay, so there's the, there's the S's, right? Someone comes in with, you know, you know, someone comes in with, you know, decreased level of consciousness, right? Or, or you know, they say that, oh, man, I, I collapsed. I was standing somewhere and I collapsed. Well, could they be having a seizure? The answer is, could be, right? What are some clinical features? This is your station. This is LMCC2, you know what I mean? This could be CCFP. Kind of give me some clinical that allow you to determine what it could be because it all could also be something else that begins with S, something called syncope, which is also on your hundred, uh, top 100 topic. Can syncope, can syncope be a benign thing? The answer is, but can it also be a sign of something life-threatening? The answer is, exactly. Do you as a clinician have to determine the likelihood of it being a life-threatening thing? And the answer is... Exactly. All right, so how am I going to do that? So I have to think about, okay, this person lost consciousness. This person lost consciousness. They come back. I see them in the eMERGE. Their GCS is fine. So I have to ask myself, did they have a seizure, right? Or did they have some sort of syncopal episode? Two S's, seizure, syncope. We're good so far? Because people might say, oh, I fainted, right? Or they might say, I lost consciousness. But you have to determine what is, what is the cause behind that, right? So what are going to be some clinical things that are going to point towards seizure, guys? Shout out some clinical stuff that's going to point towards seizure. Good, so post-dictal, right? Remember they can have a Jacksonian march, right? Remember? Neurological stuff returning, right? Right? They can be post-ictal, right? Right? They can get an aura sometimes. Oftentimes they have a previous history of seizures, right? You know? Someone comes in, known epilepsy on Kepra. Does that make sense? Secondary injury, right? Incontinence. Or might they bite down? Or might they bite down, guy? Good. It's for the ACEs course. What If you bite down your tongue and you're having a seizure, what can you happen to your tongue? It, it can swell. And what can that do? It can block your? There you go. That's why we say assess your CABs, right? I've had that happen before. I had somebody bite off the end of their tongue, right? And they were crazy to intubate. Does that make sense? Very, very hard to intubate. Because you get so much swelling, and your tongue is a super vascular organ, and if it's so vascular, what's it doing? It's bleeding, and you're trying to put a tube down, right? Hard to do. So keep that in mind, right? So those can be some signs and symptoms. When people have seizures, do they have a pro... They may have an aura. Can they often not have an aura? Can they often be just doing something normal every day, and then all of a sudden... Exactly. Okay, syncope now. What are some things that are going to differentiate syncope now? Physical, uh, phys- w- 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 uh, that are going to suggest uh, syncope on, on sh- you know, history and physical exam. Good, right? Yeah. Good, right? They might feel lightheaded, right? 
good? Was there Valsalva? Was there some sort of provocation, right? Huh? Good. They're not postictal, so you're not seeing that 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 postictal. You know, you're not seeing a Jacksonian march. Those types of things, right? That can suggest it as well, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah, previous history, that can indicate as well, right? Sometimes the, sometimes the lines can be a little bit blurred, right? But oftentimes you're able from your history and physical to kind of say, was this something more syncopal or was this something a true seizure? Does that make sense? We already talked about seizures, right? Let's talk about syncope. That's one of your 100 topics, right? Can that heal you? The answer is? Yes. Yes. Now, are there some benign, we have already established there, are there some benign causes of syncope? And the answer is? Are there some causes that can kill you? The answer is? All right, let's do a little bit of physiology here, a little bit of hemodynamics, right? Blood pressure equals cardiac output times what? Systemic vascular resistance, right? Right, so blood pressure, right, is equal to cardiac output, so that's times systemic vascular resistance. What happens when you have a syncopal episode? What is not getting perfused? Your noggin is not getting perfused. We can agree on that? And it's transient. So there's something that happened and your noggin is not getting perfused. And therefore, what either if we know that blood pressure is equal to cardiac output times systemic vascular resistance, what happens? Either your blood pressure went or your systemic vascular resistance went. There you go. We're good so far? Cardiac output is what? It's heart rate times stroke volume. I'm going to write this down so that we can we can understand this, because this is how we can, right? Blood pressure equals cardiac output times SVR. Good so far, guys? Cardiac output, heart rate, stroke volume. So I know that anything that affects this, anything that, anything that affects your heart rate, anything that affects your stroke volume, or anything that affects your SVR, what can it do? It can cause a drop in your... And if you get that drop in your blood pressure, what can I do? It can impair perfusion to the brain. And what will you do? You will have a syncopal episode. We good so far? All right, now let's go through. We, now we said that most cases when people come in and faint, what are they? Are they, are they serious, serious stuff? What is it? Most cases are? Vaso, what is vasovagal? Or neurocardiogenic parent. What does vasovagal mean? Like when someone says, oh, I went vagal and I passed out, right? What, is, what does that mean? Cool, why? Okay, vagal, let's describe it here. You ever, hear that, you ever hear that thing happen? Somebody gets really scared, right? And what happens? And some people, they pass out. When you're really scared, you activate your sympathetic nervous system. Why would you pass out? Right? What you do is, remember these two systems are in opposing? What happens in some people, when they activate their sympathetic system, they get an overcompensation of their parasympathetic system. So if you were to follow their heart rate, they'd be tacky, 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 bratty, bratty, bratty. So why are they fainting, guys? Because what is lower? Their heart rate. Does that make sense? And if their heart rate drops precipitously, that can affect their cardiac output. And if that changes very quickly, that can cause them to have a syncopal episode. We good so far? So you can have these changes that are vaguely mediated. What is your vagus nerve? It's your parasympathetic system, right? What's it going to do? It's going to, it's going to, what does your parasympathetic system do? It tends to slow down your heart rate, right? So that's why if you have a Valsalva, you can activate that nerve, right? And people, what happened? They're stupid on the toilet. I can't get it out. I'm constipated. That's one of my top 100 topics. Does that make sense? And I, oof, does that make sense? And I hit my hand and I'm on Coumadin and I have a bleed. You understand? <laughs> do you understand? Right? All because of the constipation, right? That would be the perfect station. You know, the person's constipated. You know what I mean? And then they go down. Exactly. exactly. You have to resuscitate them. Exactly. They had a head injury. You have to know your Canadian CT head rules. Does that make sense? <laughs> they have a seizure post-head injury. You have to know your seizure guidelines. <laughs> and the family medicine part is cure the constipation. <laughs> so this doesn't happen again, right? You see how we can build the connections, guys? I don't need the worst station ever. No, no, no. We wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to you. Exactly. Okay, so that's what it means by something is vaguely mediated, right? What other stuff that, that's fine, you know, if you're vague, unless you're that gentleman that happened, you know, where he had a vaguely mediated event and it, 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 uh, it, uh, it uh, was quite detrimental, right? Right? What other stuff can make you faint that maybe is a sign of a very serious problem? Kind of looking at our school. Huh? 
Good, so valvular heart disease, because what? Valvular heart disease affects your... Affects your cardiac output. Does that make sense? What else? If you have a bad heart, can that affect your cardiac output? Let's say your rejection fraction is 12%. Can that affect... Is, is that good? No, right? Are you going to have problems mounting your cardiac output? The answer is... And what happens? You could... You could die, and you could also faint. Does that make sense? We're good so far? All right. So we know there's cardiac stuff that can cause it, right? So valvular heart disease can, can cause it. Um, disease of the myocardium of the heart. Does that make sense? Anything that's going to drop that um, drop that stroke volume, right, is going to affect is going to affect your cardiac output. Now, what's the other side of the equation? That stroke volume. The other side is heart rate. So anything that makes your heart beat two or two. There you go. Oh, man, I'm fainting all the time, doctor. Ever since I visited the cardiologist for my heart failure, and he put me on that beta blocker, and I've been fainting all the time. Oh, man. Does that make sense? Right? Medications can do that as well, too, right? What can the beta blocker do? It causes what? Your heart rate to go? Right. Your heart rate can go down, right? Anything that can increase your heart rate can do the, thing as, uh, can, can do the same sort of thing as well, too, right? Younger person comes inside, you know, when you, you do the drug screen, you find out they have a lot of cocaine in their system, right? What can co cocaine do? It's a sympathomimetic, right? Activates your sympathetic system. And what can that do? It can cause your heart rate to go way? There you go, right? Also, probably, yeah, have a, you know, lots of other stuff happen as well. All right. Okay, now, that's, so it's, it's that, those are the heart-related stuff, right? So too fast, too slow, pumps not working. Either pump's not working because, because pump is bad or valves are bad. Does that make sense? We're good so far? All right. What can be something else that can cause a syncopal episode, right? Let's say if you were to lose a lot of blood. Can that cause syncopal as well, too? Can. Exactly, right? Yeah. Why does it cause that? Right? So we know blood loss can, right? So if you have somebody, would you want to screen them for, you know what, how do I know their hemoglobin is in 62? Right? Could that, give, could that give me some answers as well, too? Let's say that person is having fainting spells that they're seeing their primary care physician for, right? And it's been going on for six months, and you find their hemoglobin is 62. Is that a problem? Exactly, right? So that state can cause problems because it ultimately affects stroke volume. Remember our friend, Mr. Frank Starling? To do this in the ACES, this is right. Remember, Mr. Frank Styling, what does it say? It says when your preload goes up, does that make sense? What happens to your cardiac output? It also goes up, right? More blood in, more blood out, right? Up to a point, and then what happens when you stretch the heart a lot? Your cardiac output goes down. Crystal clear with that? So what happens when you're anemic? When you're anemic, what happens to your preload? It goes, yeah. and that's and and if your preload goes down, your cardiac output goes exactly. Right? If you're badly dehydrated, what happens to your preload? It goes? Exactly. You good so far? All right. So when we're assessing people for syncope, we need to recognize, you need to recognize that there's some serious stuff and there's some not so, there's, there's some, the vaguely mediated stuff, right? And you have to go through a coordinated assessment, right? Okay, come inside. How do I know? Is this a seizure or is this a syncopal episode? Does that make sense? All right, it's a, it looks like sound like a, a syncopal episode. What tests might I do, right? If you're having these things recurrently, right? Might you do an EKG? Might that give me some information? In the right clinical context, you might have to do a Holter, right? Maybe this person's having episodes of runs of something. Does that make sense? How can I take a look at the heart and the valves and the pericardium? What kind of test can I do? An echocardiogram. Does that make sense? Right? Would you want to do a medication assessment and lifestyle assessment? I think that would be good, right? Let's see if you find out this person has heart failure and they're on a whack load of diuretics. Does that make sense? Can that affect their preload? Can, right? Can make things worse. Right? Might you want to check a hemoglobin as well, too? The answer is excellent. Pregnancy test, love it. You know, you can almost never go wrong with a pregnancy test. In a woman of childbearing age, you can, if they ask for investigation, you can almost never go wrong with a pregnancy test. There's always something that's like, and here we're going to give you, oh, you're pregnant. <laughs> you almost can never, never, you could almost never, never go wrong. Sound okay, guys? All right, let's do a little bit of a case here. A um, 
60-year-old male, previously healthy, 60-year-old guy comes into the emergency department, and he is, is, his, his children brought him in because they said, you know what, doc, for the last six days, he's just been fainting all the time. He's been, he's just been, he's just been fainting. You do your history. Sounds like a thing. You're not as concerned about a seizure, right? Sounds like a thing. What kind of investigations are you going to do? Let's see in the emerge. Shout out. We just talked about them. Good. You do an EKG. Normal. Good. Posterior blood pressures. Um, he has a, he has a, he has a, he has a drop. Let's see in his posterior vitus. Let's see. He has a, his heart rate goes up by about 35. When you line, when you go from line to scan. Previously healthy guy. Huh? No new medications. Otherwise healthy guy. You know, he just, he was, he's no, he, um, um, he saw.